Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. Hi, my name is Sam. I was born in Manila. I spent my childhood in Iloilo, moved to Canada at 13. I currently live in the Peel region, also known as the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. Sam and I are both podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. On today's podcast, we discuss the Lost Shaman podcast, Deconstructed and Filipino Folklore. But before we do that, as you can hear, we have a special guest on today's episode. So, Sigs, take it away. Well, we welcome Sam from Sabelle Studios to the Hello Hello podcast. We've connected with Sam when she (laughs) launched her podcast, The Lost Shaman, last season. And Jesse and I did a taste test Mm. episode on her podcast, which was fantastic. Now, you gave us a little bit of a preliminary, Sam, as Jesse and I have done in the past. Can you briefly remind us where you were born, where you grew up, and where you locate yourself today? Yes, I will do. And um, so essentially, I was born in Manila. Uh-huh. And then at the age of three, my family moved to Iloilo mm. in the Philippines because mm-hmm. that's where my father is from. Mm-hmm. And then at the age of 13, I moved to Canada. And currently, so over the past few years, I've actually worked across the UK and Canada, but I just Ah. came back last year to the GTA, to the Peel region, and I'm living at home, Mm. which is amazing. Mm. Or not. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's where I'm at right now. Oh my gosh. So Sam, tell us why your family came to Canada. That's a really good question. I think Based on my understanding, my parents were just at this point where they were looking to better their lives, if you will, which is the typical reason. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I had a talk with my mom the other day and she said, you know, sometimes you think about moving to another country and you're not really thinking too much about the reason. Mm -hmm. You just hear about it from other people and you have this sort of vague idea that it's better out there and something as shallow as, you know, I just want my kids to speak better English and I want my kids to live in a society where their education is recognized everywhere around the world, these type of reasons. So that's essentially why they wanted to move here. Sam, I wanted to say that that's such a poignant reason at the same time, because I think like, even if it feels shallow in the moment, underneath Mm -hmm. it is kind of like equity. I just want more equity for my child. And it does, like it makes a big difference. My parents parade me around when I'm back in the Philippines saying, see, look how perfect his English is, or, you know, look at all his degrees (laughs) or all that stuff. I can totally appreciate what you say in terms of like why your parents may have wanted to immigrate here, even if it seems like it was just for this one small thing. Exactly, exactly. And I think that it's interesting because they just think it's better out there, Mm -hmm. which is the messaging that they give. So going from that, you can see that there's actually a lot of implications involved and there's a lot of change that happens when you actually make that move. And For example, these are the type of things that I wanted to incorporate in this podcast. So in a way, it really is my, I think for me, it's an ode to the Filipino culture and it's a way for me to reclaim that past as well. Yeah, I I can't wait to kind of like pick your brain because there were things that I felt like you were nodding, nodding to all the Filipino youth out there or first and second generation Filipino youth. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to like talk more about kind of your thinking around that. But before we do that though, both Siggy and I kind of like our eyes went, whoa, like how did you get to the UK? Tell us about your like UK adventure. I follow you on Instagram and I was going to ask you because you're a foodie. Like I don't know if our listeners, you're a foodie and you just have these awesome places. You've been to really cool places and I didn't know I was like when I send out the invite I'm like is she gonna be in Canada or we're gonna have to adjust for time but tell us about your UK Mm. travails and everything yeah so I actually went to school for a little bit in the UK Ah. so I went to Waterloo here and then I went to school for a little bit in the UK as well and then my company I work in financial services which is not as creative as 
the podcast mm-hmm, space, mm-hmm. but maybe yeah. they're trying. And we are actually based in the UK. So I was working there <sighs> pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. but then had to come back home because of the whole situation oh, and things yeah. like that. And so, yeah, I go there very often for work. And my boyfriend actually lives in the UK. He's a chef. Mm. So that's why in terms of being a foodie, mm. it's just a big part of my life. And I love going to different types of restaurants. It's honestly like my biggest hobby. <laughs> so. You show it well. Because I'm always like yeah. FOMO. I'm like, what's she eating now? I'm like, damn it. It looks so good. And it's just so here. And it's just like insta-perfect. I love seeing you like your foodie stuff. I'm like, that looks really good. I'm very jealous right now. But you're just like, you're enjoying it. And I stuff. Love so food. yeah, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Why school in the UK? I just find that really interesting. Tell us a little bit more about that. So I actually, in terms of my background, I actually studied finance and accounting, which I know is, you know, in that space. And I think at that point in time, I wanted to do something more creative because I actually have always wanted to be a writer. I found opportunities while I was in school to study English literature in the UK for a little bit. Mm. Oh, wow. And then went back to Waterloo and finished my accounting degree. What did your parents think about that? That move to the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just really curious. I think, well, at first, to be honest with you, they were not so... What's the word that I'm going to use? They were definitely hesitant. Right. So I think that's the first one. And they were unsure because speaking quite bluntly, especially in a pretty traditional Filipino family, Mm -hmm. I think they had a certain expectation of me to just stay home and just be a stay home and be stable, save money, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So for me to do tralala in the UK and want to find myself in another country, (laughs) it just didn't make sense to them in the beginning, I think is what I would say. But honestly, eventually the good thing about them is they get used to the idea after Mm. I talk about it with them for a very long time. And then (laughs) they support me eventually, you know, but of course I have to, I am the eldest in my family. Uh, So I have to talk them through my whole logical process before I get their buy-in. You know, as the eldest, whether you're the ate, the kuya, the manong, the manang, (laughs) we doubly have to prove our cases, don't you find? Exactly. We're breaking our parents. That's what it is, (laughs) right? That's exactly it. I felt that. Yeah, I felt that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So that's so true. I think what's really ironic, though, is is that your parents had, just like all our parents, had a pioneering spirit to come to Canada. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to go to the UK, right? And they're like, no, you're not. Perhaps I'm over-dramatizing it in some ways. But I just think, I guess, the mouthy kid in me would have said something like that to my parents, you know, in terms of, you came to Canada. Did you ever bring up that irony of any sorts? I think I did probably multiple times. And I remember I was telling my mom, I just want to learn about myself. I want to push myself Mm, to discover new things. And then my mom said, why don't you just volunteer in Toronto? (laughs) 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 She said, you you can find out about yourself. Just stay here. (laughs) Exactly. Like she just didn't feel the the need. Like it yeah. wasn't a need. For me, it was more of a want. And I had to really push for that because I think growing up, sometimes you have certain expectations and they tell you, you need to do this. You need to do That's that. Right. For you to say, I want to do this. If it's not necessarily that logical, they're just a bit like, what? Like, what does that even mean? Like, yeah. how does that relate to your future? Right. So I think as an eldest, and I know that a lot of people can probably resonate yep. So this and understand you really have to speak your truth, if you will, and just learn to convince them mm. is what I No, that's yeah. an excellent point out there to anyone, ex- any of our listeners that are dealing or managing with their parents, their expectations that I do think that there's a bit of convincing. Oh, I think if there's anything that I can say about Filipino culture, though, it's not always a flat out no. But if you have a logical argument, you may be able to reverse your parents after a period of time, as Sam has... After a period of time. After a period of time. <laughs> the last kind of question that I want to ask you is uh, finance. Like, w- did that kind of come about because of like, okay, you know, parents, or was that of doing well in high school with respect to that particular field and then thinking, okay, mm-hmm. I should just kind of go that route? Or was there like a different reason as to why you chose that kind of academic path? I've always been interested in English literature and business. Mm. So I always call myself business by day, writer by night is my motto these days. And it's the same. I've honestly been the same person 
And I remember I told my parents, oh, I wanted to pursue that. And they wanted to push me to do something that they found a little bit more challenging or a little bit more technical, Mm. if you will. So I would say there was a little bit of influence there. My parents are accountants, Mm. in fact. Uh, So they say they didn't pressure me. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. I love them, by the way. And so I think I was slightly influenced and I was like, oh, maybe I'll try it and things like that. And I discovered, well, the good thing is I tried it. I discovered that I wasn't so into just the numbers side of the business. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to do English and commerce. So now I'm actually in communications, which I think is a good mix of both. Right. I remember I was working for, say, a big four accounting firm for all my co-op terms, in fact. And I actually quit. So I told my parents, no more of this. I was supposed to do my master's of accounting. So I had actually gotten in the program as well. I signed a contract and it was a very big, drastic change for me to tell them. I've tried it. That's it for me. Wow. Wow. That took a lot of courage to do. Would you say that it took a lot of courage to do? I think it took a lot of courage, but I also think it's just, I felt like it's what I needed to do for myself to pursue something that was more creative. And just for the sake of my joy is what I was thinking. And I think you have growing pains, especially in those formative years. And I just had to say my piece and then eventually you plant the seeds and then eventually it grows and then they buy in, but it does take time. You know, when I've talked to Filipino parents over the years, I think at the end of the day, it's about wanting to see your son, your daughter successful in some way, shape or form. And I think sometimes it's just in this world, it's so hard to kind of figure out. You tell a Filipino parent that's probably in their 50s, 60s, 70s that I want to be a social media influencer. They don't get it. They don't get it. Or, you know, they say that I want to be an artist or I want to be in PR. And I think that they just can't imagine it. But I think it sounds like you really followed what you were passionate about and believe so much in yourself that it sounded like your parents found it hard to say no or to discount anything that you were saying or to reverse your opinion in some ways. And Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. And I think, honestly, ultimately, at the end of the day, what I could see was all they wanted was assurance that I could take care of myself. Mm. So once I show them that I think their minds were at ease and they were definitely more willing to let me go in that sense. And honestly, even nowadays, my mom's like, she's a big fan of Bretman rock. (laughs) So she's always telling me like, you should do a YouTube channel. She's like, you should just become a YouTube influencer. And I was like, who am I? Like I have no content. And so they get used to things, you know, and they're also learning and growing. I think as time passes and as they see what comes out on social media. Amazing. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, that's so amazing. I'm glad that you shared your immigration story, but also your path. And I think that your path is really illustrative of probably a common struggle out there. And I think that your lost shaman podcast, and we'll get into it, right, very much exemplifies that first generation, second generation Filipino Canadian trying to kind of, if you will, cross the threshold between Canadian society, North American culture, and Filipino traditional values. But before we do that, I think usually, Sam, what we do is we just do a really kind of light check-in with each other in terms of what we're consuming pop culture-wise. Is there anything that you're consuming pop culture-wise these days that you wanted to share with us? So yes, I do. So I am actually a big true crime fan. Oh. Yes. And I recently just watched The Woman and the Murderer on Netflix. So it's about a serial killer uh-huh. in France in the 90s. So it is a bit serious and somber in tone, but I think it gives me great insight as to Paris at that time. They learned about DNA and how they established that system. Cool. So that was really cool. And I'm currently watching Midnight Mass on Netflix. Oh, is it good? It's actually amazing. Well, I've only watched the first four episodes. Okay. And honestly, I think you will love it because it is also that slow burn. It's a Mike Flanagan production. So Mm. he's the creator of Haunting of Hill House. And (sighs) it's definitely based on religious undertones. So it's essentially trying to test the balance between angel and demon in a small town and seeing you know the difference between 
faith and obsession, that type of thing. I'm really enjoying it so far. Oh, I'm sold. Like I'm sold. Even if <laughs> it's good, even though it's good scary, in it, right? it's like uh, yes. I don't know that I would survive it. I think some I'm sold. Good actors. I think like Hamish Linklater yes. and like Zach Gilford are in it, and I keep on seeing yes. clips, and I'm like. I think I need to watch this. You need uh, to watch it. I, need to watch I think it? Okay. love it. It'll be in my queue. And it's not that scary, so I don't think you will jump okay, that's good. as much. That's good. Oh, there you go, Jess. But I do <laughs> like I like the meditation <laughs> on angels and demons. And yes, listeners, you, you know, in the warm-up episode that'll precede this particular episode, you'll find out that I'm a very jumpy watcher when it comes to horror movies. So that's what Sam's referring to. But Six, <laughs> what are you up to pop culture-wise? There's two things, yeah. and it's funny. On Netflix, I don't know if you guys watch, have you watched Love on the Spectrum? I have, yeah. I have a little bit. Okay, so I've watched the first season, the second season. It's basically several single people in Australia who are on the autism spectrum just finding love. And I think the bottom line is just there's a lot of genuine people just trying to find a connection. Mm, yeah. And if we were upfront and serious, especially being in the dating field, I remember my 20s and 30s being dating or whatever, where if someone was just upfront, I'm into these things, this is what I'm looking for. If I was just a bit more honest, I'm sure my dating life would have been much <laughs> better. <laughs> and just taking those cues. And every time, I don't know about you, like you almost want to tearfully, like are joyful for these characters that are just trying to find love or just that yeah. right connection. It's just enjoyable. But what I didn't mention, and I just literally, before we were meeting up, have you guys heard of this show it's a four episode show. It's on Crave or HBO Max. It's called The Unusual Suspects. The Unusual Suspects. Oh, no, yeah, I haven't I've heard seen that one. It. So, Shirley and I'm putting the season now. I'm going to talk about it very briefly, but I'm thinking maybe Sam will come back for a taste test. And I think the, like, the three of us should watch hmm, it. It is a four part <laughs> episode. And it's interesting because obviously it's about a heist, right. but it has to deal with a very rich white lady who has a Filipino nanny Ooh. Oh. in Australia. Oh, and so it's, it's just like, oh, this is interesting. And then there's a cast of characters, unlikely people. So there's another rich Filipino lady has a Filipino nanny and they need to come up with money because several of them are dealing with bankruptcy and being a social media influencer. So there's a lot of big comments on privilege. Yeah. It's very interesting because I'm like, I wanted to find some other stuff on. I'm like, what's this about? It's like a dramedy. Miranda Otto from Brina's Teenage Witch is the lead character. But all the other characters, Tagalog speaking Filipinos. Interesting. They had, wow. they, and you would laugh though, Sam. Like, they had like, you didn't need the subtitles. You knew exactly what they were talking. Wow. I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. And the best part, and it's not a big of a spoiler. It's nothing like when the Filipino nanny has got the brain on her head. Like, it was, oh, okay. it's in the clutch. So, Let's maybe we'll bench it mm-hmm. and maybe we'll have Sam come back and we'll do a taste test, the three of us. Because we do have a month where it's crime and punishment on the Hala Hala podcast. Oh, and I think perfect. it'll be the perfect fit. So we'll have maybe we'll have Sam come back. <laughs> it's called <laughs> The Unusual Suspects. It's on HBO Max. Now, Kuya, what are you watching? What am I watching? So I just started RuPaul's Drag Race UK. So I, all our listeners know that I, <laughs> I probably watch every How brand. Many? Well, there's just so many. There's like a million yeah. and one different brand extension. There's RuPaul's Drag Race UK. There's the original. There's All Stars. <laughs> We've got Canada's Drag Race. Drag Race España. Drag Race Thailand. <laughs> but it's fascinating because lately they just announced or just recently announced probably a month and a half ago or a month ago drag race philippines but what's fascinating is this is that i think it's in response to manila luzon so a filipino-american drag queen who had announced how she was going to put out based in the philippines a competition show called drag den in the ultimate competition to be the supreme drag queen now anyone that knows anything about the drag race industrial complex knows this which is (laughs) is that they have an airtight agreement when they sign to be on the show so it's like how is manila getting on with this like are there certain laws that don't apply internationally in the philippines that allows manila to do this anyways i'm just like i want to find out these legal agreements that's going on that allows her to do this so obviously her getting attention made world of wonder release drag race philippines but all of this is kind of like i don't know how many more extensions brand extensions i can watch of this and i feel like i am close to tapping out (laughs) but i do know that they're probably headed towards eventually a drag race international competition where you'll have international people but at the end of the day it's fun it brings drag on and that's kind of what i've been up to pop culture wise is just kind of continuing on my drag race obsession 
So there's no way to pivot from drag race unless it's like really scary <laughs> drag. And we talked about Manila Lizon. Although she does yeah. kind of have yeah. like that Adams family kind of Morticia, Adams kind of wavy hair and stuff like that. From drag race to the Lost Shaman podcast and to Sam putting in together this beautiful podcast. Sigs, I think you should take over at this point. And you know what though? Let's let's start with the basics. We're talking about deconstructing the Lost Shaman podcast. Sam, tell us, what is the podcast about? It's a good question, indeed. So the podcast is about a 20-year-old Filipina-Canadian girl in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And essentially, it's a podcast about her reclaiming her culture and getting to know more about her past, which involves Filipino folklore. So it's a mix between sort of her modern environment as well as her history. And I really tried to blend a lot of our Filipino traditional sounds with sort of the modern sound, more electronic and techno. And ultimately, I think it's a story about a girl finding herself, supernatural elements involved to make it fun. And it's a bit like a teleseria, if you will. (laughs) And also inspired by Asian entertainment, like Korean dramas. Encapsulated. Go ahead, Kuya. I was just going to ask, like, Sam, where did the idea come from? Yeah. So the idea came from, I'm actually a big fan of, as I said, Korean dramas, Japanese dramas. And honestly, from my past few years of consumption, I'm really inspired by the way they blend their supernatural with their dramas, yeah, right? And I think yeah. that's something that they do really, really well. For example, in Korea, they have gumihos, goblins, grim reapers, and nine-tailed foxes, things like that. Right. And so for me, I was just thinking it's a big gap. This was pre-Tresse, by the way. Mm. So this was... <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So there was a big gap in the sense that I just wanted to show that side of Filipino culture, because I feel that it is very rich, diverse, and there's actually a lot of magic in there, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that is very big because when I grew up in the Philippines, I'd hear so much hearsay and stories about things that were happening in the countryside and, you know, manarangals and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to really highlight that and showcase that. And also I wanted to do something that was really relatable and something that was true to me. So it was my attempt to blend the two. First of all, I just have to say that you blended it quite well and quite seamlessly. And then second, what's amazing is this is that it was just kind of matter of fact, this world exists. And there wasn't that much explanation. You didn't need any explanation, especially like if you grew up Filipino Canadian, you would have heard some of this stuff anyway. And it was just great of Sachi to just the, the main character to just kind of find out more and more and get deeper into this world. I think that that's what I appreciated most. There was, you clearly meant that this was for us, you know, as Filipino Canadians listening for this or anyone, any Filipino in the diaspora hopefully could relate. And you really refrain from what NPR has been kind of calling the explanatory commas. You didn't say like a duende and then, you know, some other character would then kind of explain what a duende is for like the non-Filipino people or I was just really impressed by that. And it really touched me because it was like, oh, this is really, this is meant for me. Was that something intentional that you were doing? Yes, it was absolutely intentional. And I honestly, for me, it's a love letter to Philippines and Canada. Mm. And so I wanted to be as specific as possible, which I know it can be dangerous, for example, in the podcast world, because you are maybe limiting for example, the number of listeners, right? And actually, I did receive feedback because I was pushing this podcast to a few people from somebody who was not related to, say, Filipino and Canadian culture. They said, oh, I didn't necessarily understand it as much, but if it's for the Filipino-Canadian audience, I think it works really well. But for me, I didn't resonate with it, for example, compared to, say, the more type of productions or the Mm. more general podcast productions. And when I heard that, I was thinking... Maybe I could make it slightly more general. Maybe I could make it more explainy, but I just didn't feel like that spoke to the audience. And I really wanted to talk to certain people and I just stuck with that decision. So I'm happy that you like it. I am (laughs) so glad that you didn't give in to that feedback because else that would have just checked me out. It would have been like, okay, this is nice that this is a Filipino Canadian story, but really it's about kind of getting other Canadians to kind of listen and learn about our culture, blah, 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 blah. And I'm so glad that you 
stayed away from that because I think you're right, like that there's this kind of need to kind of broaden your audience base. But I also said this in the previous podcast where a couple of episodes ago where I was reviewing America's Not in the Heart by Elaine Castillo, where she does something very similar. She doesn't really care too much about explanatory commas. And she really, in one of her interviews in the San Francisco Public Library, said like, you know, we usually go to these podcasts or books to kind of learn about the specific and then we go to white folk to learn about the universality of the human experience. And it's like, that's BS, that's bullshit. Because if someone talks about the Irish potato famine, it's like, we're all expected to look that up. Like, if you don't know what the Irish potato famine is, go figure that out. If you don't know what the 60 scoop is, go figure that out. Just love that it was like you were unapologetic like of that. And so thank you. I just have to say thank you for that. I think it's, it's very tempting to just cater to like a mass audience and to be like, oh, you don't understand it. Let me like drop an explanation here as to like the meaning of sinigang or something. <laughs> but, you know, for me, I actually heard before from an author that mm-hmm. the most universal stories are rooted in the specific. Right. And that's something that I try to incorporate here. You've got a good audience. And I, I really do have to echo Kuya Jez on this. Like you didn't have this explanatory. And I like that you stuck to your guns. The three of us both know, like to me, whatever, Sachi would be like Filipino Buffy. Mm. And she's Buffy. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And we don't have to... Everyone watched Buffy. Oh my God, I'm going to watch this and about all these things. Well, hey, listen to Sachi and the journey she's on. Her mom's a healer. Let's figure this out. Like, oh, that's a really intriguing story. I'm not familiar with this. There's so many times where we assimilate to like the the general stories that are out there. Let's hear a different story and you figure out where we're coming from. So good for you. And (laughs) I'm glad that we have you on because like the last few episodes where Kui and I talked about Filipino pieces of literature or media and how they sort of said, let's delve in and learn more about it. And clearly you do that. So much applause to you for that. Now you talked about it slightly. Is Sachi based on a specific person or based on you like in your 20s? Like tell us more about the, those main characters. Yes. So I would say (laughs) in terms of writing, I always want to start with what I know. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of the general characteristics of Sachi, I think it is quite similar to how I was in my early 20s. I was definitely sort of, I felt my life sort of just, you know, being dragged. I wasn't necessarily sure as to where I was going to be, you know, who I was going to become. And I think it's not just me. It's a lot of questions that young adults face because suddenly they have this much responsibility and you have to be so sure of yourself. Mm. I think there's that pressure nowadays. So I was really trying to reflect that and incorporate that into Sachi. And I think when you hear Sachi, you can see that she's very capable. She has a lot of personality and she is quite strong but at the same time she's quite detached from her environment and she is unsure so it's a person who is a contradiction which I feel like a lot of young adults are it's not just somebody's growing and everything's positive and it's not a linear progression necessarily so that's what I wanted to uh, reflect with regards to Sachi just a conflicting individual and in Mm -hmm. terms of Ren actually Ren is inspired by you know, your typical rich boy trope in Mm -hmm. Korean dramas and telenovelas, teleseries, because Filipinos love that, right? Right. They love this like rich, perfect guy. We do, yeah. Exactly. I wanted to also make him lost and confused and just finding his way as well, just to humanize him. So it's really a mix of those elements. The character of Ren, I love how you just characterize him as this rich boy, because honestly, like I felt like he was this transplant from Makati. His parents owned a major set of malls. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was probably Chinoy or something like that. And I just thought to myself, anyways, it was just kind of like, oh, I know that guy. Like, I know that guy really yeah. well. And I know those families really well, too. And it was just like, you had described them so perfectly. And I thought, oh, that's exactly how they would live in Toronto. That's exactly, like they would have a multiple compound and they'd have like (laughs) all these unused rooms and stuff like that. And I just thought, oh my God, that's exactly it. What I really appreciated about your depiction of Sachi and especially around her kind of trying to reclaim, if you will, her Filipino, Filipina identity was really this kind of like tension, this tension, Mm. this class tension, right? Like between her and Ren initially, and then like the tension that she feels with other students at the university that she's at and stuff like that. I'm wondering if you can tell us more a little bit about that, because I think that that's actually a really common experience for a lot of Filipino Canadian youth today. 
So I think with regards to the tension with Sachi, I think I wrote it because I consider it to be true. Mm. You know, being a mm-hmm. first generation Filipino Canadian myself, it's something that I felt growing up. So as I said earlier, I moved here at 13 mm-hmm. and I consider that age young enough that you can adapt really easily to your circumstances and everything is fun for you, but old enough to see how hard it is for the people around you. Right. So I think from an early age, your eyes are open to some of the harrowing reality of the immigrant experience, yeah. the joys and the growing pains. And you suddenly have a sense of responsibility. You have expectation and it's something that you carry with you through your formative years. And I think that brings a certain sense of tension that is pretty similar to what Sachi is going through because suddenly you're not sure what type of decisions you should be making and right. you feel more motivated and inspired to work hard, which you can see with Sachi because she has so many part-time jobs. But at the same time, you also feel quite restricted by your circumstances and you just don't know what to make of it. And it's a very confusing experience, I think, for a lot of young adults. And people deal with it through different ways. Some people, they manage it really easily. You just keep on moving forward without even thinking about your past or thinking about your culture. And I think that's why Sachi is slightly detached if you will right. in especially in the early part of the podcast i would guess that she would have to be or else if she actually stood and reflected it would be hard to kind of recognize the thousand paper cuts that she experiences in a day because of the different structural oppressions that you were kind of talking about like so i just remember one of the episodes where it was like you know she gets the scholarship but she can't continue with the scholarship because she hasn't been able to kind of reach a particular level it becomes this moving bar and like did you so eloquently in that one scene really kind of encapsulate all the structural inequities that kind of go on. Like, I thought it was beautiful. Like, it was just really elegant and, like, it didn't need any explanation. And, you know, I know that I'm coming at it with a really academic analysis, but I think it was felt that she's dealing with the inequity of the world and either she's going to give into it or she's just going to keep moving forward because she has to keep moving forward. Exactly. And I think a lot of, you know, Sachi is at an age where she's still slightly malleable, right? So there are opportunities in front of her she just has to keep on going and take it. But for a lot of people who move to Canada when they're a bit older, of course, as you know, it's extremely difficult Mm -hmm. for them and maybe the options are slightly more limiting. So Mm -hmm. I think it's honestly the same experience, but for her, she's just making the most out of it. And actually that's her already being positive. Right. Yeah. She's always trying to be positive and she also is not only kind of resourceful, she'll just, she'll make do. And I just love the scene where she's like, Ren, go into the pool and I'm going to start incanting things and I don't actually know what I'm saying but I'm just going to I'm just going to make things up like I just love the inventiveness in some ways to such comedic effects but there is this kind of beautiful kind of unpolished nature about her I guess what I'm wondering was 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 that by design and if it was by design like why make her seem so unpolished I mean it was great like I thought it was a great character choice but 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 tell us more about why it was important to kind of have her feel so unpolished at times as compared to Ren let's say you know this is a really interesting question because when I think of Sachi as being unpolished I think I was really trying to emphasize sort of the contradicting relationship Mm. that people have with their culture. So these days, I was thinking there's a lot of resources, right? So people can be more informed and then they develop a a really robust sense of cultural identity. But based on my experience, honestly, sometimes the process of trying to relate to your culture and to figure out what is what, like what are these chants, like what am I supposed to do? It can be confusing and bittersweet. And there's a lot of denials and back and forths and those difficult conversations with yourself. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think that's what I tried to incorporate with Sachi. You know, in terms of sort of personal relation for me, that's what I felt too coming into Canada at 13 because suddenly I was part of like Filipino crew, Asian crew, did not even know what that meant because there was no Asian crew in Philippines because everybody is Asian. Asian. Yeah, just call them crew. (laughs) Exactly. I'm just like, what is this? Like, what is this? I don't know. And, And suddenly, you know, to be Filipino meant to be something like here in Canada, suddenly like there were certain stereotypes, everybody thought of me a certain way, but I didn't think of myself like that. And 
I knew Filipinos were so much more diverse and there was so much more to us than just, for example, singing and dancing, which is what everybody <laughs> thought I could do when I moved to my middle school. <laughs> and so, you know, for Sachi, she's a bit bumbling like that because she doesn't know what to make of her culture. And I think the important part is she's trying to learn and she's just trying to push through it and figure it out day by day. Mm. So that is like the essence of Sachi. Whereas, for example, Ren is the opposite side of the spectrum. Yeah. He's confident in, in who he is. He's confident in his cultural identity, maybe because of a different lived experience. Right. It's actually based on, say, my boyfriend, because he also lived in Philippines and in London in the UK. Right. And mm-hmm. he's somebody who wears his Filipino is so well, and he just has this much pride in mm-hmm. both countries. And And I just thought, how come like he has that type of relationship with this culture and how come I have this? So I think it's me trying to reconcile those ideas with myself. Right. You know, the reality is, is, is that you can wear it so well, like a tailored suit, or you can just be slouchy in it. But I think that that's a wonderful metaphor. I don't think that there is like any one right way to wear our culture. Like we can wear it the way that we want want to wear it. I love how you describe Sachi as bumbling through it all. And yet there's something beautiful about that. There's something really beautiful about that. It's just like, well, I'm just going to, you know, make it up as I kind of go along and hope that it works. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Like, I'm just going to laugh and go, ha ha, like as she would say, and then you know, go into the next, you know, try the next (laughs) thing. Like, it's like, what else does the internet say about what I need to do here? Sort of like the fact that how we we keep on saying the analogy of wearing it, it's almost like she's wearing shoes and trying to work them in. Mm. I'm not a 20-year-old Filipino-Canadian woman, 45-year-old. I like that it is about culture and her trying to, like, see her way through it. I like that type of hero, heroine, in, like, a story where, like, it's not perfect, but I'm still trying to get to that thread line. And Kui, I really like the way that you had you had sort of like compared it. But to hear um, your creative process behind it, it's so much more deeper, Sam. And I, I appreciate that being a listener, especially being part of this audience that you're you're trying to make listen it, or have as an audience. It's very clear to us, at least, that you put a lot of thought into this. And a lot. It was not only just kind of storytelling; it was also kind of commentary on what it means to be Filipino Canadian and reclaiming your heritage or your culture in a number of different ways and that there's not a right way to do it. And if you're bumbling through it, then that's okay too, right? Like I absolutely loved it for that. I think the first thing that Siggy said to me when he first told me about your podcast was like, Kuya, I feel like I'm actually eating punset with them. (laughs) Like at the funeral or whatever, right? Sigs asked her question on that because it was just... It was bang on. And like, you've answered a lot of things that I was asking about, but I just want to know, like, how did you begin to create this world to explore? And I'm going to say like creatively, and then I'm going to, I want to know production wise, because I am so amazed. You created something where... As we're all in pandemic, some of us have the ability to work from home and we're staring at computer screens. When I plug it in, I'm able to close my eyes and let my mind like travel. You created this world. Like, how do you go about doing it? You are a writer, you are creative. We see that. Talk us through that process and how did you do that? Start that. I think in terms of creating the world, my emphasis is I want you to feel like your home is my whole mantra. Mm. And what I mean by that is if it's set in Toronto, I want you to hear Toronto. And when you close your eyes, you feel like you're standing on Queen Street or something and you hear those typical sounds. When you think about a Filipino restaurant, what does that sound like? Usually it's bustling, has a lot of energy, Tita's talking in the background (laughs) and just picturing home and the places that are familiar to us. I think that was a very important part for me. And in terms of home in the Filipino sense, I think it's like the sounds of the people around you, if you will. Like, for example, you mentioned the funeral scene. I've always been interested in the way Filipinos do funerals Mm -hmm. because it's not necessarily like an incredibly somber affair. There's actually a lot of joy at times in it. You know, there's a lot of food and a lot of people talking. So just wanted to add that in because I feel like that's so very Filipino, I guess. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the actual production, I actually worked with a sound designer in the Philippines Mm -hmm. who has worked on movies and and commercials and things like that. So we were working closely together. He's amazing. I would recommend him to anybody who wants to do (laughs) a soundscape and sound design. Casey, I'll tell him to listen to this. And he's honestly incredible because we talk about, say, the music, for example, wanting to make it 
more thrilling. That's yeah. me. That's me, actually. I said, can we make it scary? Can we make it even scarier so that people have goosebumps? <laughs> and Ooh. yeah, and I was working with a guy in Europe, actually. I was just doing a lot of research, oh listening to sounds online and yeah. listening to all these tracks. So we actually curated the sound together. And then I wanted to add more acoustics as well. So the OPM style of Filipino music. <laughs> it was, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. The beginning, bam. I was like, I closed my eyes. I'm like, am I at Filipino Canadian Association? Is it to coming out? Like, it hit, single, like, the thing, thing, I'm like, Sam, wow. Like, a whole different place. And even when you said you talked to this person in Europe or whatever, even like the wheezing of the attacks, like the stabbing, I'm like, this sounds like that. Or you brought me to a hotel, like a hospital. Mm. Like yeah. snap your fingers. I'm like, impeccable, impeccable work. Like to your Yeah, it was voice. beautiful. Yes. Like beautiful sound production. And what was great about it was it just allowed us to go deeper into the story in some ways. It allowed mm. me to get really enthralled. And I did get scared more <laughs> When the music got scared, I was just like, oh my God, it's good that I'm not jumps. seeing anything. Let's be honest. Yeah. 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 Like there's some jumps where you're like, oh, okay. All right. We know what's going on or what's happening. Yeah. But even your reveal moments, it was like at home and you're just spinning a yarn, like Sachi spinning yarn. Oh, by the way, my mom. And I just love that reveal. I'm like, I'm in. You're like, you're drawing like people in on this string of really stepping into this world. I can't say enough, whatever listeners, if you're listening, please download it because I just, it takes you to a different world and escape. And you did comment about like, this is just like an ode, like a love letter. And you truly put a lot of heart into it. Just inspire me with that part, you know, and for it to hear about so many different levels about persons like self, about culture and Sachi's journey. And it's like any Filipino Canadian's journey. And from knowing your immigration story, I think a lot of people can identify with that journey and it's just so interesting. The, so interesting. A large part of your love letter to both to Canada and to the Philippines is really about what I would consider the modernization of Filipino folklore. And you're right. This was before Tresse. I mean, we knew that Tresse existed before, but it was really interesting that you were out there in advance before anything came out on Netflix. And I think that this is just an opportunity for those of our listeners that might not know too much about modern Filipino or Filipino folklore. I thought maybe it would be really interesting for us to talk a little bit and start pivoting our discussion towards memorable folklore stories or creatures or healers. And I would say to any of our listeners out there, if you listen to the Lost Shaman podcast, my goodness, you will get a dose load and a half on all of this stuff. Or oh if you have been exposed to Filipino folklore, like Siggy and myself growing up, and like you too, Sam, that very much you will just relish everything that you hear thinking, oh, I remember this. I remember my, my Lola telling me this. I remember my, my parents telling me about this and stuff like that. <laughs> and discovering things along w- with Sachi along the way. But wanted to ask each of you guys in terms of Filipino folklore, what is your, I guess, most memorable folklore story or folklore creature that you were told about or folklore healer that you've been told about? So I do have a folklore story Mm. and I share this story to anybody and they always think I'm crazy. But basically when I was around eight years old, and this is a true story, I woke up one day after coming back from the countryside and I felt this heaviness on me, Mm. like anywhere that I went. Like I just felt like someone was hanging off my neck or something Mm. and just dragging me to the ground. And I remember I told my parents about it and I was like, mom, like something's wrong. Like something is heavy. I feel like there's someone on me. And then my parents were like, what is she saying? So I swear we went to the doctor and she was like, no, everything's fine. Everything's normal. And eventually we actually ended up visiting a local albulario. (laughs) (laughs) So we had to go through like these narrow alleys to get to this guy. And he had these vials and like (sighs) oils everywhere Uh and herbs. And then I was just like half confused. Right. But he's just like a local healer in the Philippines. Like it's normal. And I remember he um, put some oils on me or something. And he told me that like, maybe somebody took a liking to me, like in the countryside. Ooh, interesting. And, I don't know, thought it was cute, wanted to eat me. I'm not sure. Oh my gosh. And um, <laughs> literally, like, I remember I went to school the next day and I was wearing garlic in my socks. Wow. For like the next two days. <laughs> and I don't know, I mean, who knows if it's just like wishful thinking and things like that, but like I really did that as an eight-year-old. So I think that was my first exposure to 
folklore. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my mouth just drops because I didn't have that experience, but my sister had that experience. And oh, so yeah. what was interesting, 1986, my family's back in the Philippines. We're out, up in Pangasinan. And so we're at the beach, at Lingayan Beach, swimming around and stuff like that. We finished beaching. And then suddenly, like, my sister's face starts to get swollen and stuff like that. And we're just like, okay, maybe she just had a bad oh reaction God. to the salt water, whatever the case may be. We come back to the house. My grandmother's there. My youngest sister, Jessica, still not feeling well. And then she starts to get changed. And, like, there's all these scabs, like, throughout oh. the entire, oh like, her entire back is scabbed, right? And it was like oh my gosh, really scabbed. Like as if she was lashed in some ways. We were like, what just happened? And so my Lola like doesn't think twice about this. So she calls the local healer over. <laughs> she comes over. She looks at it. She says, oh, someone's jealous of you. So then she goes off into the bush, gets all these yeah. herbs. And I thought, oh, what's she going to do with it? She starts chewing them. She starts chewing oh. and masticating them. And then she starts then- spitting the leaves on the back of my sister until her entire huh. back was like covered. And she says, okay, now stay like this for like at least an hour and stuff like that. Came back, scraped it all off. And it was like, there was like <laughs> as if it was nothing there. And it was just like... Holy cannoli. Like, is what goosebumps. I thought. Yeah, I totally had goosebumps. And then my parents were just like, oh, yeah, someone must have been jealous of you. Like, all of that stuff. And it was just like, but we weren't doing anything, like, really, quote, unquote, bad or anything. Like, we were just swimming at the beach. Like, maybe we had too much fun or whatever the case may be. But, yeah, that was just really. That's and it was all common. very ma- matter of fact, right? Like, you know. Like, you know let's just fix this. Let's, let's just, just fix do this. I, let's find the, you know, the local healer. You know, she came over. And, like, this is in the province, right? So, like, you know, the local healer is three farms over. We were at my Lola's <laughs> farm, you know, where literally, like, there's no one around except, like, chickens. Uh-huh. So, it's just like. Like, oh my God, what is happening here, right? What just happened to my sister? And then how did all the scabs go away? Anyways, I will never forget that scene in my head. It was just, I'm in the middle of a movie. And then it made me really think kind of the plausibility of all of this. Everything that I had been told beforehand, it like suddenly was like, what do I have to say again, mom and dad, so that I don't annoy a spirit? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're overly careful. (laughs) It does make you think that, you know what, shingles could be caused by jealousy. Good to know. Mm, Good to know. You never know. You never know. And then you have to, to find know. a healer back in Pungasina that'll then oh, yeah. masticate <laughs> leaves. I'll, with herbs. <laughs> herbs. I'm, I'll call you both. We'll, I'll take you to Baltimore. I don't even know what those herbs, herbs on were. My back. We can search you it out. We can search exactly. it out. I have no search idea. It out. It's no big deal. That is super interesting. Both of you. Sam, can you remember? Like, did you feel like the heaviness off after? Yes. Yes, scene? actually. Yeah. That's why I said after that, I said, oh, I'm a believer. It's true. Everything is real. So if I go through a forest, I'm going to close my eyes and try to stay away from Manangas or something mm. or like these flying women. I said, everything is real. (laughs) I love it. Everything's real. Everything's real. What about you, Sigs? What is a memorable story that you have or a memorable folklore? There's so many. And I think Sam will probably laugh. Like I remember we hear about Aswang, we hear about the Mumo, we hear about the Duende, no relation to me. Do you guys remember, and this is just a quick sidebar, do you remember there used to be a horror series called Shake, Rattle, and Roll? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of those like folklore, especially Aswang, like vampiric, yeah. I remember from the Shake, Rattle, and Roll movie. So inflammatory comma, it's like an anthology horror series like Tales of the crypt but very filipino style and Mm -hmm. tied into filipino folklore and i always thought of that and i thought you know i could talk about aswang but it's very humorous how my parents used to say when my brother and i used to laugh a lot or if i was being very silly my mom's like why are you being so bonisnius (laughs) and i'd always had that relation like bonisnius I go, what does that mean? She's like, you're always laughing. It's a bit of a maniacal laugh. And I remember being a little bit older and saying, bonisnius like is that like an actual word? My mom's like, well, actually, it's sort of like a cyclops. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like a cyclops? <laughs> and I did some research and I'm like, it is related sort of to the cyclops in Greek mythology. And it's just this oafish cyclops that has this huge maniacal laugh, with big grin and goofy. And the pictures are hilarious, like this big silly grin cyclops. And there is a folklore story about, I think, a caribou, a monkey and a dog. And they try to outwit this Bulmisnius being eaten, right? So the only one that really survives the three friends, they move out of the city to the country. And unfortunately, the dog and the caribou do not survive, but the monkey outwits this mm-hmm. oafish character. Mm-hmm. And I always laugh and I'm thinking, oh, I thought it just means laugh. Mom's like, no, it's like a cyclops. 
I go, so when I'm laughing, like really silly, she goes, you look like a Cyclops. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. <gasps> thanks, mom. Thanks. Willie like compliments? <laughs> it's a compliment, maybe. Yeah. So when I think of that, I decided to, instead of like the moo moo and all that stuff, Bolognese always makes me laugh because my parents oh like, my. Me, you know, you're equivalent to, you know, a Cyclops with a, a weird giggle. And then my mom's like, just so you know, they're sort of scary, but not really. I'm like, okay. Thanks, but just guys. maniacal. Maniacal. I mean, you know, you know, Susie and Willie do. Oh, Tita Susie. Their stories. I got to love Tita exactly. Susie for that. But what, aside from your sister's a little travai there, what folktale do you think of? The, you know, really quickly is the Mount Mayon volcano story. I was on several trips back to the Philippines. Sometimes we would take an extended trip back. And so my elementary school teachers would actually say, hey, bring something of the Philippines and talk about this. And I remember my parents picking up a folklore book. I remember reading through it and then finding out about the story of Mount Mayon volcano. And it had to deal with Princess Magayon and the discovery of her love affair with Hadayong that then sparked a war between tribes, which then ultimately led to Hadeyong's death and Magayon's despair and that upon her burial did the volcano eventually come to be. And then if you look at the volcano, you can actually see her face or the lovers embracing and stuff like that. And I remember it was pointed out to me and I was like, yeah, actually, I think you can't see it. You <laughs> kind of can actually see the two figures running to each other. But it was just kind of like a magical story in a lot of ways. And to me, I had always learned that from that story that love can be destructive, right? And like, don't <laughs> piss people off and you should let it be is what I learned in all of that. And then, you know, kind of like what I take away from Sam's story and the other story is, is, is that believe, which I think is really important. And I think, especially today, there is a virus that is like shutting down the world. You can't see it, but you know that it exists and stuff. So if a virus can exist, who can say that some of the stuff that, that we're, we've been talking about today doesn't exist? And in fact, sometimes I think that the veil is slowly thinning, that these things become more evident. So I think one of our fixings of the week is really to believe. And if you want to believe more, another fixing is really tell people, if you listen to the Lost Shaman podcast, to listen to it. Because I think it'll make everybody a believer in some ways. Sigs, do you have anything else to add to that before you take it out? No, but you know what, Sam, like, I love a spoiler. You don't have to give a spoiler. Can you give us some little tidbits? What's going on with your podcast? Yes. Yes. There's actually a lot going on in the podcast on the side. So we are ending the season uh, this October. So we will be releasing the last two episodes. Okay. Mm. Yes. And I'm actually working on another story that is related to the lost shaman so you know if you think about this whole world you have sachi who's the shaman but there's also the stories of the people on the other side like the duatas and the supernatural Mm. so it's a little bit of that and i'm just doing a tease because i'm still working on it but (laughs) you will see it soon oh i'm so excited Share with our listeners again how they can know more about the Lost Shaman podcast. I would love if your listeners could please listen to the Lost Shaman podcast on Spotify. And for more information, you can also find us on Instagram. It's at Sabelle Studios. You heard it there. Thank you so much for joining us in our studios. It is great. And you're going to come back, right? For sure. Anytime. Anytime. Honestly. I mean, I was nervous to be because I said, oh my God, like, what if I stutter? Like, what if I lose my train of thought and just disappear? This is (laughs) like soak up a spool. Like you were totally right in there telling us, hey, I expected nothing less. It was awesome. (laughs) Folks, we want to hear from you and we want to engage you, hear more about it. If you want to have any more questions and hopefully some better ones than calling me a bonisness or asking about more (laughs) Filipino folklore. (laughs) <laughs> or want to know more about Sam and um, the creative process of the Lost Shaman podcast, please email us at holohalopopculture at gmail.com. We love mail. You can also find us on Twitter. Our handle's at holohalopop. And we are at Instagram at holohalopopculture. You'll see some pictures of us, of this lovely interview, and maybe we'll give you a little bit of a video tidbit in the weeks to come. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chell Turingen. And we'll see all of you guys again real soon. See you soon, guys. Thank you. See you soon.